All right, well, the cost of living squeeze, how far does your money go? Well, it requires $119.27 to buy the same household goods and services as you could with just $100 before the pandemic. Let's take a look at some of the prices under President Biden. You can see here natural gas, that's up 29%. Groceries up 25%. Those used cars higher in price by 35%. Electricity up 25%. Of course, the troubling trend here, guys, these are all necessities. You know, we're going to set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. This is Nick. Hey, Nick. This is uh, Nick. Oh, Reagan. Buddy. Now, look, my, my Marine carries that. It has a code to blow up the world. We're about the bread and butter of governing. We're not about the chaos. We're not about the drama. We're not about the partisan politics. Uh, we're about getting stuff done. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have a new host. That's right. There's been a coup and Mr. Pyle's been deposed. And Mike McKenna is now in complete and utter charge of this podcast, the unregulated podcast, number episode number 158. And of course, I'm just kidding. Only a only a masochist would want to be in charge of this thing. Tom has taken a week off because he's just sick of it, or he's got to take his kids somewhere. I'm not sure which. I'm here with my um, fill-in guest co-host, Alex Stevens, who's going to try to keep up as best he can. Of course, he suffers from a significant disadvantage being from Michigan, but he's going he's gonna to do what he can. Alex? I'm going to do my best, but uh, I just want the listeners to know that I recommended an hour-long monologue from Mike McKenna on the topic of Abraham Lincoln's presidency. I believe and I believe that's what the that, people are calling yes, for. That's what the content that they want. So. I will point out one thing before you get going, um, before you get going on the clips. Um, a friend of mine noted this to me today, that he was in the top third of listeners on Spotify. Apparently, Spotify tracks such things. So next week, we're going to um, figure out who our top 10 listeners are and identify them by at least first name on the uh, on the broadcast. Do they get a prize? <laughs> yeah, they get a prize. Okay, the clips this week, uh, Bidenomics, $119 to buy the same goods and services you could with $100 before the pandemic. Yeah, I don't understand why... I don't understand why people are having such trouble with this concept, right? Why why survey after survey shows that people trust um, President Trump more than President Biden on the economy. It, it, it doesn't matter that real wages are up. Real wages are actually down when you factor in inflation, and that's just that. And it's especially acute in everything that you got to have, right? Food, gas, um, and housing, right? You know, you're not, nobody's going to be happy with, nobody's going to be happy with mortgage interest rates at 8%. They're just not. Um, it's telling that even President Biden has stopped using the phrase, the, the word Bidenomics, right? He's, he, he dropped that on um, top of November, hasn't said it since November 1. Uh, I'm curious to see if it's going to come back. I'm looking forward to the first press person who asks him, hey man, what happened to Bidenomics? Yeah, we're going to get into polling in a little bit, but uh, obviously this is got to be what's driving uh, Trump and the numbers, right? It's not Trump surging. It's um, it's Biden fading, right? It, well, if you can fade from the position that he's in. Yeah, right? I mean, it's also, it's also, and this is something we don't talk about too much, right? Um, it's also 
well, I don't know how to say this delicately, so I'm not going to say it delicately, is also the fact that President Trump has um, remained silent, more or less, and let a President Biden, um, you know, light himself on fire. I am confident, with every fiber in my being, I'm confident that President Trump is going to rectify that and start talking immediately, and he himself is going to drop in the polls as soon as he starts doing that. You saw some of that this week when he responded to an editorial in the um, Wall Street Journal, which I think probably was written, I don't know if it was written by or encouraged by our friends at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Um, they pointed out that um, Obamacare has encouraged the vertical integration of the healthcare business and wound up making everybody in that integration a bunch of money. And that caused the President Trump to take off and say, we're going to repeal Obamacare. I'm like, yikes, not this again. And that's apparently the response everybody else had too. So the election's coming down to who can keep their candidate in the bunker the longest. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a, um, Sad commentary, but there it is in America, right? It's 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 who can shut up who can shut up for the longest amount of time. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, I think, misquoting uh, President Reagan. There, <laughs> we're from the government and we're here to help. Is that is that? Uh... Yeah, the front edge of that, just so you know, just in case you're wondering, those of you who don't have any um, long dated memory of President Reagan. President Reagan used to preface that by saying the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, we're from the government and we're here to help. And and he occasionally even gave examples of it. You know, he, he, hey, man, you want to you wanna find out what it's like to be a um, – you want to find out what it's like to be a, uh, a, a, a dependent of the federal government? Take a look at the Native Americans, how they turned out. You know, who chooses to live on a reservation, really. Um, it, it's This administration seems to be just, just jam full of folks who don't have any context, historical or otherwise. This is a serious question. Do you think they do this on purpose, actually? No? I have. Like, I, I don't you think they're, they're, they're trying to tease the right? Or, I only you know? take serious questions. Yeah. And <laughs> no, um, I, I did think that for a long time. But the um, the irresistible and unrelenting... Um, Lack of intellectual ability on the part of the vice president's um, speechwriting staff makes me think it has to be an intentional, intentional um, ignorance. And, and I said that as nicely as yeah. I possibly could, by the way, <laughs> just so you know. So anybody want to call up and complain, just just know the second round is going to be worse. The clip in the middle here, Biden is touring a, a factory. You said it was probably in Colorado. What is he saying? He He, he approaches this worker and he says... Look, my Marine has a code to blow up the world. What is the possible context that could come up I, in? You know, I assume they were having a, um, I assume they were in the middle of some kind of whip it out contest. And he's like, yeah, I, I can blow up the world. I, it, it, you know, you're a guy. Guys have these things from time to time. I assume that's why I can't think of why else would you say that, right? Yeah. The obvious point, though, imagine uh, Trump was caught on uh, on camera saying those exact words and just the news cycle that that would happen that well the funny obviously thing, isn't going to take place here. i mean the funny thing is is that president trump had a button on his on a button on his desk that summoned a a steward with diet coke and he used to tell visitors that it was in fact the nuclear button and encourage them to push it, it which so you know he, they 
I think the difference is is that Trump's Trump as a president Trump has a sense of whimsy sometimes. I'm sh- I'm not sure at this point President Biden has a sense of whimsy ever. And then Pete Buttigieg claiming that they're not about par- partisan politics. They're not. Ask anybody. Um, it it I mean Secretary Buttigieg himself is a product of a rigorous selection. Um, process for who would be the best secretary of transportation, who led companies or states with the largest infrastructure projects, whose own city was spectacularly adorned with all the latest infrastructure. I mean, you know, when you when you're Senator, when you're Secretary Buttigieg and you survive that sort of merit-based process, you've got to believe that everything's merit-based, don't you? Yeah, and you know, Democrats have never been known to smear people that they disagree with or, you know, get nasty in politics. It's never you know, not just it's not part of their MO. They're just perfect little technocrats again. I don't understand why why everybody can't just look, we won and we put our guys in. Okay. It's easy. Yeah. And and some stuff is partisan and some stuff isn't. Everybody in America, I think if I put that in a survey, everybody in America would be like, Yeah, that sounds about right. And like, do you get angry about any of that? No. It just is, right? Yeah. You know, the winners win and they install their guys and some stuff is partisan and some stuff isn't. And that's it. It's when you get guys like Secretary Buttigieg telling you, hey, man, your eyes and your ears are lying to you that you're like, OK, you know, you're you're you're, you're starting to embarrass yourselves, guys. Move along. Announcements. What do you got? Uh, announcements. Uh, I did want to announce that Spotify thing, which I got out. Uh, it's December 1st, so I'm sure it's somebody's birthday in my family who I'm missing. I apologize for whoever that might be. Um, announcements. I don't know. Come back to me on that one. I may have I may have something as I, if I remember it. I've got two. Lay it on me. Happy birthday to my godson, Silas. He turned four last week. And I appeared on the Financial Sense NewsHour podcast this week. Money. And uh, we were discussing the new renewable energy mandates in Michigan. So I just wanted to plug that as well. Yeah. I'd also like to announce that the Lions are terrible. Well, we'll get into that. We're already here. <laughs> We're already here, buddy. I got bad news for you. The, uh, the Lions organization called up. You can't go to any more games. Yeah, anytime I'm anywhere yeah. in the vicinity, they, so you uh, know. they don't show up. So, for the yeah. for those for those who don't follow um, the podcast religiously, um, producer Stevens is a huge Lions fan, and he has gone to two games this year. Am I correct in saying that yeah. two games? Yeah. And the Lions have lost those two games by a, a combined seventy four points. Yeah, they just have not shown They're, up. It, it, you got to stop going. Yeah, you know what? The <laughs> funny thing is, I'm sitting there watching the game on Thanksgiving. I'm like. He's got to stop going to these games, yeah. man. It's not turning out well for him. <laughs> Looking better than the Bills, though. And then, who did, did you pick Cincinnati or Philadelphia? I forget every Cincinnati. Week. Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah so but in all fairness, looking a little bit better than your guys' picks. In all fairness, Joe Burrow got hurt. Yeah. You know, I, I am not the only one who wasn't, you know, who was un, uninformed about that at, at the appropriate moment. Um, I will point out the Giants beat the Patriots, bouncing their record to uh, four and eight as we come into the the home third of the. The last third of the season. So they Giants have a fighting chance of maybe winning six games. I'm excited. Six and 11. Tom's obviously not here to complain about the Bills, but they lost, I think, on a field goal, right? To yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah, they did. Um, and a terrible Tough thing about there. they had that game won a couple of different ways, and they, they kind of let it skitter away from them. I, the only thought, which makes the Bills five and seven, which, by the way, the thought I had was if the Giants had beaten the Bills like they should have, 
You know, they had five plays inside the one. If they'd scored a touchdown on any one of the five plays, they'd have beaten the Bills. The Giants and the Bills would have exactly the same record. It'd be five and seven. Take it back. The Bills are six and six now. Yeah. And oddly enough, Bills are still probably going to go to the playoffs. Okay, this day in history, uh, only two this week, but I think they are new ones. And they're going to so, stomp me. December 1st, right? Yeah, December 1st. And the first one is 1913. Oh, I know this. And uh, it is. The income tax became law. The yeah. women got the vote. Detroit. There were riots. Uh, Henry Ford rolls out the Model T. World's first moving assembly line debuted in Highland Park, Michigan. What was the name of the plant? It wasn't the River Rouge plant. No, uh, does not say here, but it was obviously Ford Factory in Highland Park. I, yeah. Whatever yeah. it was, it's not there anymore because yeah, there's they, no factory in Highland Park. But. Yeah. Sorry. 1955. December 1st, 1955. Uh, Bobby Lane throws for three touchdowns and the Lions win against the Chicago Bears. Yeah. As much as I'd like to do an all Detroit episode, uh, Montgomery, Alabama is the hint. Montgomery, Alabama is the hint. Um, Rosa Parks decides she doesn't feel like sitting in the back of the bus anymore. Nailed it. Yep. Yep. That American spirit, right? I was watching. Well, I'll bring it up later because it seemed you, everyone's going to take it the wrong way if I bring it up now. Go ahead. <laughs> Remind me. I, you know what? I would just scribble something down. I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back to what I was going to say about Rosa Parks and, and the American spirit. Okay. I got three topics. That I brought. Uh, first, did you watch the debate last night? Bits and uh, pieces. DeSantis and Newsom. Yeah, yeah. bits and pieces. Um, what are you thinking? It shouldn't have been a presidential debate. It should have been red states versus blue states. And it was that to some extent when they were talking about COVID and these things. But I think uh, Hannity aired a little bit by trying to talk about foreign policy and all these other things. Neither of these guys are going to be president, I don't think. What's more interesting is the difference between the policies that they've enacted in the states that they're running and trying to create some sort of juxtaposition there. Yeah, I, I had I had two clear thoughts in my head. First off, um, first off, I have no idea why Fox tolerated this. Right, it wasn't a particularly it wasn't a particularly illuminating thing. It was basically a paid. Um, it was a paid commercial for Gavin Newsom to be president of the United States or, you know, whatever. Um, that's one. And then the second one, the second one is Gavin Newsom's a pretty, a pretty um, appealing guy. Right. You know, which which makes perfect sense. You look at the survey data in California. If you ask people, hey, what do you think about California? About 80 percent of the population, 75, 80 percent of the population tells you this place is a train wreck. Right. Um, which is why basically everyone who can leave is leaving. Right. Um, this place is a train wreck. But when you ask about the governor, you get about 50, 55% and say, hey, I think he's doing a good job. So you have a you have a train full of people who understand they're heading for a cliff, but they really like the um, engineer. It, it's kind of weird. But last night, you're like, you saw some of it, right? He's just, he's a hard guy not to like. And if you think about it, you're like, you know, would you like to have dinner with that guy? The answer is, yeah, he seems like a pretty good guy. You know? Yeah. It, the, the other thing is, you know, I love Governor DeSantis, but he he he's got a lawyer's way of arguing. He just seems to like words. I'm like, dude, fewer words are always better. Always, always, always. Isn't the Newsom stuff kind of left wing politics in a nutshell, though? I mean, 
really skilled at marketing really bad policies, putting a nice face on not the best ideas. I hesitate to say that. Or is that that not being generous? No, no, it may be accurate, but I hesitate to say it, and I'll tell you why, because um, two things. First off, something Frank Luntz once said, which is true and accurate and useful, which is why I remembered it, because it was, you know. Um, He said, saying you don't communicate well is not the same as communicating well. Um, you know, and, and if you think that if you think the left wins because we don't communicate well, it's not the same as fixing your communications problem. So that's one. But the underlying thing is um, saying that the saying that you communicate well or that your problem is you don't communicate well or whatever uh, essentially transfers the problem to the voters. They're not hearing me like I intend to be heard. Um, you know, something that Newsom says, something that the left says um, resonates with the American people, right? They always pick out some fundamental principle and, and it resonates with them. Uh, the Republicans are much less good at this, much less good at this. We're always busy talking about taxes or regulation or some other thing nobody cares about, right? How Governor Newsom gets away with calling California the state of freedom? Yeah. I'm like, it's crazy, right? But But nobody calls him on it, so... It's what happens, you know. He he's taken the high ground on an American value, and that's what the left really does better than we do. They take the high ground on American values, and they shoot down at us, and that's just the way it is. I think the one last thing that I thought was interesting for the debate was Newsom jumped at a chance to try to paint DeSantis as more of a lockdown governor than he was, obviously. Yeah, and uh, I I I mean I th- I th- just think that the telling part of that is the side of that debate that he wants to be on, right? It, it, it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, you, you, even if he didn't do a very good job making that case, he's still trying to paint himself as, uh, as, as yeah, sort of being, being the freedom guy, right? So, yeah. yeah. So it, the way that that's played out is just kind of Well, I've been, I've been, I've always been curious about this. I don't understand it. When we do the autopsy on this campaign, I'm going to look forward to, to writing about it. Um, the, for whatever reason, DeSantis has been hesitant to identify the president President Trump now as the author of the lockdowns, you know, the author and enforcer. And that's what he was. And we can have lots of arguments about, well, he really, he meant to do this, he meant to do that, but the guy went on television every day for like three months in a row, locking us down, telling us we had to be locked down, we had to stay inside, blah, 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 15 days to stop the spread, right? I thought it was always the president's weakest spot. I always thought DeSantis should have attacked it mercilessly, um, and he never did. And he never did. You know, he didn't do it last night either, yeah. right? He, his, yeah. his pitch should have always been competent governance and keeping a level head during an emergency, yes. right? Yeah, and, exactly. And uh, you know, yeah. and and I just like I said, when the autopsy gets written, that's what it's going to be, right? And last night was a was a was a little was a little a little taste of that, right? Gavin Newsom. Your next president. Think, of, think about that. As a friend of mine said on the, I was I was talking to a friend of mine today about it, and he said we're going to become Argentina. I'm like, yeah, maybe. But well, that know. might not be so bad if it delivers eventually. Uh, Argentina's new president, right? In a way. Um, yeah, he didn't mean the Argentinian new <laughs> yeah, president. I yeah. think he meant Evita Perón, the president. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's where he was going. People with have that. been rolling Argentina well, for the past century. Uh, yeah. Let's put it this way: if you select. If you select Gavin Newsom, right, Governor Getty, if you select him as your president, you are in fact selecting a cult of personality. You you have become a Peronista.
Got a story here from Politico. Uh, polls keep getting worse for Biden. <laughs> so November started with New York Times and Siena College polls showing Trump ahead in four of the six swing states. Yep. But more indicators of Biden's electo- electoral peril soon followed. President's standing in head-to-head matchups with Trump is falling. And among the latest surveys this month from 13 separate pollsters, Biden's position is worse than their previous polls in all about two of them. Uh, Trump's vote share in national polling average is higher now than it was a year ago. And the state-level data is obviously just as striking. Eight points ahead, I think, on average in Arizona, five points in Michigan, these swing states. Uh, you know, we touched on this a little bit, the clips, but is it Trump? Trump's not surging. Biden's fading, and it's because Trump's keeping his mouth shut. Yeah. What else is there to to read into these polls? Yeah, the other two things are um, – the other two things are is that the, the – um, in the absence of an economic platform – there's a couple of things going on. Let's just go through one at a time. Um the economic story isn't good, right? It, we can argue about, hey, it's it's not really, really not good, or it's just not good, or but nobody can argue that nobody can argue it's even neutral, right? Let alone good, and that's a that's a constant anchor, right? That's an anchor on any president. Um, you know, nobody. I'd have to go back and look at this, but I'd be kind of surprised if anybody won with an inflation rate of a de facto yeah. inflation rate of twenty percent in their first term, right? Um, you know, I, I know I know it destroyed. The Carter presidency, it destroyed the Ford presidency. Um, I guess is it probably destroyed other presidencies I'm just not aware of. Um, so there's that, right? You know that that prevents him from swimming. the The other thing that's going on is it has now become pretty apparent that um, there's no border in the South, right? And most people, and and that you know, Greg Abbott. We said this before. Greg Abbott changed the the calculus, the chemistry of this particular equation um, by shipping everybody northward, right? Because now New Yorkers see it every day. You know, Boston Bostonians see it every day. Chicagoans see it every day, right? People in people in the city see it every day. And you know, to be completely honest, unless you're willfully, unless you willfully refuse to see this. A lot of the deterioration in Biden's numbers are among black folks. And I got to think some of that is directly related to the fact that they now see um, that that um, people who are in the country without legal um, premise are being treated better than um, black folks who have been in this country for, in some cases, you know, three, four hundred years. Right. Families have been in the country for a long time. That's a that's a that's a constant um that's got to be a constant source of annoyance in places like New York, too. Anyway, I'm sorry. You want to say something? Well, Democrats are moving on this a little bit, right? The I think it was the mayor of New York had come out. And, <laughs> I mean, you have to be responsive to yeah. it somehow, right? But well, I mean, yeah, they're, so, they're, they're bleeding to death. Yeah. They, they, they forget, forget, forget the polling for a second. They're bleeding to death on a on a on a fiscal basis on it, right? And when a when a city as big and as rich as New York is having trouble, you know everybody's gonna have trouble. So anyway, so the border thing is now coming home to a lot of places and to a lot of people who had not previously thought or seen it, right? Um the other thing that's clearly out of control is you know, the whatever you think about the Israeli um situation, Israeli Hamas thing, um, there's plenty in there not to like on both sides, right? I don't know anybody who's like, yay, the Israelis are killing people. And nobody likes what Hamas, how they initiated this particular um, conflict, right? Um, 
and the thing is is that nobody seems to be able to explain that right that that it you can you can believe that the Israelis are completely in the right and not be happy about the collateral deaths. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think most yeah. Americans are like, you know, I would probably do the same thing, but I feel bad for the for the, you know, kids who women and kids who are getting killed. No. Um, and the Biden administration seems totally unaware of it. They're just like, hey, yeah, Israel, go get them. Now they've changed that in the last couple of weeks, right? They're like, hey, we think the Israelis should do this, that, and the other thing, you know. Jake Sullivan and uh, Secretary Blinken got out and said this the other day that, you know, the Israelis need a clear plan and they need this and they need that and they need this other thing. That, that horse is probably out of the barn at this point, right? Um, so no matter what you think about it, you find enough to not like in what the Biden administration is doing. And, and then, and last but certainly not least, President Trump's managed to be quiet while all this is going on. And, you know, the thing is, I said this to a bunch of I said this to a pack board the other day. Um, they asked like, "Hey, Trump is seventy seven and Biden's eighty one. Why does Biden get all the heat for being old?" I'm like, "He's failing the eye test." Yeah, People, Trump doesn't appear as old as that's right. Yeah, he, comparatively, he's not, right? Yeah. He's not. Yeah. And and the funny thing is, is, is there's a prominent Democratic lobbyist whose name I will not use, who was on the call with me, <clears throat> and after I went, he said. Look, he says, I assume that when Trump says something that's a little bit off, it's strategic. It's intentional. And I assume when Biden says something a little bit off, it's a sign of his, you know, creeping um, difficulties. I have no clue if that's the case. But the fact that you got Democratic um, lobbyists in town saying stuff like that gives you a sense of how it goes. So I, I think these survey numbers are real. I don't know how sustainable they are. Eventually, President Trump's going to start talking. That's going to be a problem. You know, this thing in the Middle East is going to be over. Although I will point out the Biden administration's embrace of the Iranians is putting the Democrats in a huge, in a terrible bad spot. You saw this vote on the House floor yesterday where all the Republicans and half the Democrats voted to um, prevent the administration from giving the Iranians another $6 billion. The fact that you had to have a vote on giving the Iranians $6 billion is crazy enough by itself. You had 90 Democrats vote with the Republicans, right? You had 120 Democrats who were like, sure, go ahead and give them the money. I, I think this thing in the Middle East, now that the spotlight's on it, is going to start to chew away at, at, at the Biden administration because they clearly have no answer for why are you guys hugging the Iranians? And you know what? At some point, and I hope not, but I fear we're going to take American casualties on some battlefield in the Middle East on this thing. And then people are really going to ask, what in the hell are we doing there? You know, it, 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 you know, say what you want about Trump. I've said this before. Say it again. The Abraham Accords, most important breakthrough in the Middle East since 1948. And all the Biden, all Team Biden had to do was just keep doing them, but they decided they wanted to hug Iran, and here we are. Between that and the economy, the sense that Biden is too feeble to to run another four years, just a bad stew, just a bad bad stew. Sorry, that's a lot. No rank order though. So so if if you were advising the Trump uh, campaign. What would you hit them on first? Economy, immigration, and then foreign policy issues in, in that order? Always. Yeah. Always. Always, always, always. You know, and don't talk about health care. Do whatever you want, 
but get elected first. You know, yeah. um, um, Mike Huckabee said something. I was listening to him on talk radio yesterday or day before, whatever it was. Um, he said, you know, Kevin McCarthy came out with 17 points, some policy thing that McCarthy apparently was working on. Oh, I'm glad. Good for him. I'm glad he was working on something. Um, he said, has about 14 points too many. He said, you should have three points. And, and Huckabee's three points were gas, groceries, and I can't remember what the third one was. Sure, but keep it at simple. Right. right. And I'm like, right, three, four points, top end. Don't get it. The other thing, I may have said this to, to, to my friends in the Trump orbit, stop with the grievance. You want to settle scores when you get to be president? Great. Settle scores when you get to be president. But don't don't say you're going to settle scores. Yeah. That <laughs> is an interesting thing that has kind of crept into the right, right? It's just... I don't want to say that they're they're victims and everything, but they're there's victims. Yeah, they're, they're, they're victims. There's, they're all yeah. about grievance. Yeah. It 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 the whole world has become adolescents, early stage adolescents. They're all thirteen year olds. Yeah. It becomes difficult to communicate American conservatism when you're constantly grieved. Yeah, things, right? course, yeah. it's yeah. difficult to communicate anything it, when you're constantly like that guy. <laughs> Any other time for a detour? Sure. <laughs> It's your podcast. Not really. Uh, not really. I just, I, I pretend. The, um, I, I want to say this as carefully as I can because I'm going to get in trouble. Um, and I want to get in trouble for something I actually said, not something I didn't say. Having a grievance is not the good thing you think it is. Having a grievance means that somebody did something to you um, that advanced that, their aims and goals and, and life choices and retarded and complicated your goals. and choices and life goals and dreams and all that stuff, right? So when you when you focus on a grievance, what you're focusing on essentially is an area in your life in which you lost. Temporarily maybe, but you lost. And you can't get over it. You can't move on. Right? You cannot move on. It is a sign of, I don't want to say emotional weakness, but it is a sign of emotional weakness. And that's something that nobody really thinks about. When you you know you you rarely hear successful people talk about grievances. You hear them talk about failures all the time. Yeah, and how they turned and it and into what they yeah, did about it, and, right? But you yeah. never hear them go, "That son of a bitch took twenty bucks from me one day, and I ruined him later on in life." They never get that stuff because they're just like, "Dude, I'm busy doing stuff." Culture around politics isn't always the best for taking <laughs> accountability for. <laughs> Things that I, uh, right, I mean, right, let me right, let me right. just say something you don't want to say. Um, you, people who are in this business for any length of time, generally speaking, are emotionally adolescents. They're 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 fighting their way through late adolescence. You know, they're they're trying to figure out like, what do I want to be when I grow up? It, it's a yes. big argument. It's a big argument for why we shouldn't let anybody under the age of forty five hold office. And truthfully, we shouldn't let anybody under the age of like. 75 hold office. So a little narrow slice of human beings. The good news is I'm in that slice. So I suspect as I as I age up, that slice is going to get bigger on the back end. Okay, the big story this week, I think, in energy, uh, auto dealers call on Biden to hit the brakes on unrealistic and unachievable electrical vehicle mandates. Yeah, what was that? So, the, the car dealers for choice, right? Yeah. yeah. There's 4,000 auto dealers, I think. A lot yeah. of them in yeah. California, I think. And then uh, they're kind of spread out all over the country, but yeah, about yeah. thirty eight hundred. Yeah, the the actual letter, which I will post on the will post on the on the show notes. The actual letter was not great, not my favorite message. Right, the 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 sum and substance of the letter was, "Hey, we love EVs, 
but you guys can't mandate them at this speed because no one's buying them. Um, instead of, hey, you guys shouldn't mandate EVs, period. Not like, not without the preface yeah. of we love them. Just like, dude. Eh. Um, yeah, that was a work um, of a single, apparently, as best we can tell, it was a work of a single car dealership, you know, guy owned a bunch of car dealerships, but a single guy who just basically put it out to his friends, right, and kind of grew a little bit for purposes of um, context, about 16,000 car dealers in the United States, right? So about a quarter of the car dealers signed on to this thing. Um, I've been expecting something like this, but I've been expecting it from um, folks on a, a little further to the right, right, a guy like, like the NADA or somebody. Um, I think it should prompt folks um, who want to be more aggressive to be more aggressive to put their own letter out. In other words, what these guys did was they made it safe for the next guys over to the right um, to put their own letter out. I think it's going to be, by the time we're done here, we're going to have 16,000 auto dealers who are going to be opposed to this thing. That's real important. What? Well, I, I was just saying, I mean, anecdotally, I mean, I've got friends and family that work in the auto industry. Sure. I don't know anyone that yeah, is but, like, yeah, this is actually idea. believes this is going to be a thing that happens, yeah, let alone believes it's a good idea, right? Yeah. Well, so it, it, it's not surprising to see the dealers come out first, right? They're closest to the customer it, and they. It, it, it is because yeah. it is because the dealers, um, and that's where I was going, actually. It is because the dealers are. Um, the dealers have a different relationship with the manufacturers, right? They, they, they are their vendors, um, but they don't really like each other very much. They're always kind of circling each other. Um, you know, the, the auto manufacturers would like to figure out some way to cut the dealers out of the equation and the dealers would like to get their cars from somebody other than the guys they have to get their cars from. Um, the interesting bit of news the, that first off, that letter was was news, right? Um, the interesting, there's two other bits of interesting news that came out this week on this thing. One is, is that Ford um, acknowledged. Ford came out about a year ago, I want to say, and said, "Hey, if you're going to sell EVs, we're going to have to certify you to the dealers, yep. to their dealers. We're going to have to certify you." And they had two levels of certification. One would cost like half a million bucks. One would cost a million bucks. That's a lot of money for a dealer, right? Um, you know, you, there are dealers who sell three, four cars, uh, you know, a week. So, um, Ford announced that they were letting a bunch of dealers um, out of the program. Right. Yeah. That they, I remember, like a year ago, they they announced how many had signed up and it made a big deal about it. Yeah. And it's like they lost about they th lost three hundred, I think. Or yeah, I want to yeah. say they lost about a third of the dealers who yeah. had signed up for the program. Right. So, and and they had to let them go because like it was just basically a jailbreak. That got almost no press at all outside of the trade press, right? The automotive trade press. But it was interesting because you had a bunch of dealers who were like, this thing isn't worth it to me. I yeah. don't believe it. it was. It was. It's a little bit like the Exxon Pioneer merger. It's a little bit like those mergers, right? It's a vote of no confidence in this transition idea, right? The dealers are like, this isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen on any time scale, right? Forget it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not spending half a million bucks to put in a bunch of equipment for cars I'm never going to sell. Yeah. Um, so they're voting against it, oil and gas voting against it. Um, I can't remember what the second thing that happened was important. I'm sure it'll come to me as we, as we go along, but that was very important. Um, and I'm not exactly, you know, you, you can, you can sort of feel the ground move on this thing. Yeah. When you combine, uh, 
renewable energy too. It was a Bloomberg headline. It's like thirty billion dollars and stocks selling off. Or yeah, I mean, there's right, a whole right, bunch right, of evidence, I mean, right? Yeah. It's the offshore wind guys. It's all of this, right? Um, the the fact that the International Energy Agency, which of course founded in the wake of the oil embargo by the Arabs of 1973, to figure out a way to get us off um, oil from the Middle East, IEA came out uh, last week and said, "Hey, man." You know, we think oil and gas is peaked now, and it was you know, everybody threw rocks at them. It was bad enough that they they called on in front of the cop thing. They had a, they called on oil and gas to stop in oil and gas companies to stop investing in oil and gas. And I thought to myself, okay, it, in this country, it would be the equivalent of EIA calling on somebody to stop investing, right? You know, it, they're supposed to be neutral, uh, facially neutral. Um, you know when the when the um, when the Revolutionary Guard starts talking about hey well maybe this revolution isn't going to work you got to start wondering yeah. about it. It's kind of a perfect time for COP then, right? If with all these things coming to a head, right? Here's all these people in the meeting to discuss the the transition. One hundred thousand, one hundred four thousand yeah. is the number I think I saw. One hundred four thousand. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. It's it's one hundred four thousand people flew to. Dubai, yeah, flew out there to talk about how they should all lessen each other's carbon footprint. I, I the good news is the administration sent Vice President Harris, so so, so they're taking it seriously. So everyone's going to be unburdened by what he's been. Well, I, I mean, she fixed the root cause of immigration, illegal immigration. So I figured, you know, after after she did that, the next thing's got to be climate change, right? Uh, two stories that broke right before we sat down: George Santos was expelled from the House. Yep. Anything on that? Uh, it's about time. What else is, what else can you really say? Yeah. I mean, it, it guy's been a train wreck. It took him 11 months to clear him out. Everybody, um, I was busy. I, I, I was entertained that everybody was busy patting the ethics committee, house ethics committee on the back for their, their quick, um, their quick, you know, work on it. I'm like, dude, it's been 11 months, you know? And then the Biden administration is refilling the SBR. Did they announce that or are they actually doing it? They just announced 2.7 million barrels at $79 a barrel. I was going to say at 80 yeah. bucks. Congratulations, yeah. gang. We're going we're to swap out those $20 barrels for $80 yeah. barrels. There's a reason why you're in politics, not business. That is everything I have. Do you have any stories for us? <laughs> No, um, I did want to point out that I watched Valley Girls, um, that I watched Valley Girls, which is an excellent movie from 1983. I'm sure you've seen it. You've never seen Valley Girls. I think it was Nick Cage's first feature film okay. where he was the star. You should see it. It's a good movie. Um, it's all about American independence. I know that sounds ridiculous. It's actually all about a girl who faces up to her social pressure from her um click in San Fernando Valley in the early 1980s and dates a grunge from, not grunge, grunge. a punk, a punker from Hollywood, which is on the other side of the mountain. Yeah, 83 is a little early for grunge. Yeah, right? I know. Um, and it struck me that, I, this is probably the fifth time I've seen the movie, right? I was just sitting around watching it one day. And it struck me that that is an American story. I'm just, I'm not going to do whatever it is everyone thinks I'm supposed to do. It, it sort of captures, to, to your point about Gavin Newsom and the left and, you know, why they're, you know, are they better at this stuff than us? 
you know, that, that kind of thing is an American, really only in America kind of vibe. I don't care what people think. I'm just doing what I'm doing. Um, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to profane or offend. Rosa Parks is the same kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just not doing this shit. I just don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this other thing. And I'm really grateful for everybody in this country who wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I'm not doing this thing. I'm not playing this stupid game anymore. I want to play a different game. That's one. Two. Two. I wrote a column for the Washington Times, which is, of course, a partner of this here podcast. It's going to run on Monday, I think. I think it'll post up on Saturday night, maybe Sunday morning. Can't really tell over the weekend. Um, It is more or less a listing of all the times that the Republicans in Congress have failed to do anything about communist China. It is not something we talk about. It is something we need to talk about, that no one seems to want to do anything about communist China. They love to talk about it. We're not going to do anything about it. And I was spurred specifically by a letter that Chairman McHenry of the House Financial Services Committee wrote to the conferees for the National Defense Authorization Act, encouraging them not to include language um, that would require a review of all investment all American investment in companies that are adjacent to the Chinese military. I have no idea how anybody could oppose something like that. But Congressman McHenry opposes something like that. And closer to home, right, in Michigan, um, Goshen is a company that um, has very close ties to um, the Chinese Communist Party as well, right? Its parent its parent is a subsidiary whose parent, um, you know, is a originating documents talk about how they're they're gonna they're here to help out the party activities, right? Um, the supervisors in the township, Green River, Green Rapids, wherever it is in Michigan, basically all got recalled by the voters. Um, I mentioned this because Goshen hired a bunch of lobbyists. I think it's time to start thinking about who's lobbying for these guys. I don't understand why they're not registered as foreign agents. Um, and I think people should start to ask that question. And I know it's a terrible thing to ask because, you know, these guys are all friends of ours and Republicans are all good guys. Everybody's yeah. a good guy. But somehow we managed to go an entire year without doing a single damn thing about the communist Chinese. Did you happen to see the story in California about the bio lab that was run by a Chinese national? No. That was full of all kinds of disease. Yeah, I, I mean, imagine a illegal biomedical lab in somewhere. I think it was in Merced or somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, my my politics is tends towards not being as hawkish as I think you are on China, but I, having read that story, and if I'm coming around to saying that something needs to be done on China, then then we're getting there. Then we're getting there, yeah. You libertarians are the worst. <laughs> you'll get out of it. You, you'll grow out of it. Don't worry about it. You'll have a kid, and then all of a sudden you won't want heroin dealers living next door. That's it's. Well, I don't want heroin world. dealers living next door. What are you talking yeah. about? A libertarian yeah. paradise? That's exactly. We'd be they'd be able to live anywhere. They already do. But you want to think? You want to? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, allowed to live next door and put up a great big giant sign saying "Heroin addicts come here for your fix." Huh. Yeah. I don't think that's fair because. You know a what? lot. A lot of what the government does is subsidize irresponsibility. Right? You know what? So maybe the, if we took away that first, and that's the way I right. am. I'm yeah. not fair. Yeah. 
I take everybody's I take everybody's argument to its most absurd. Yeah, to close this week, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre has mastered the art of saying a lot without saying anything at the same time. So here's our close. So word salad, ladies and gentlemen. There seems to be a disconnect between Biden's policy wins and voter approval, voter support. Can you talk about why you believe that is? So look, we're going to continue to do the work and talk to the American people. I think that's why having this conversation with you, Dion, uh, and Nehemiah is so important. Talking to Black Wall Street Times is so important, right? Hearing directly from the administration to talk about and take this opportunity, and we appreciate this opportunity, to lay out what the president has done, uh, not just for the Black community, but for Americans across the country, and how his focus every day, day in and day out, is to make sure that we deliver on what the president was was elected to do. And so we're going to talk about it more. We're going to continue to have these kind of conversations more. We're going to try and break through the noise. It's very hard to break through the noise that we're seeing right now, right? The politics noise, there's so much happening. And so we're going to continue to push our message forward on how the president is, is wants to give, make sure that uh, people have a little bit more breathing room. They want him, He wants to make sure that people have that dignity to be able to, you know, to, to make those choices, to, to, to pay for important, uh, important important uh, items for their family so that their family can thrive. They can thrive in their own uh, careers and in their own lives. So I think we're just going to continue to have those conversations. We're going to he- continue to hear more from the president going to, going into states, speaking directly to the American people. But it is. It is very hard to cut through the noise nowadays. It's hard to imagine it'd be quite difficult to cut through the noise when you ramble for two minutes and uh, don't say anything at all, right? It's the single greatest press secretary of our lives so that's a wrap for this week uh, i appreciate you guys letting me sit in i'm gonna do the one thing that i always tell you guys to do and you guys never do please take a few minutes to rate and review the podcast it helps other people find it mike thanks for letting me sit in today and don't forget that spotify thing and namaste. Namaste.